Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Joining me today on the Spirit of EQ podcast is Jim Vave. Jim is the co-founder of Spirit of EQ. He's a spiritual director. He holds a PCC from the International Coaching Federation. He's a friend, and I'm so happy that he's joined us today. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the podcast again. Thank you, Eric. I'm glad to be here. And uh, that was quite a mouthful. What you had. <laughs> and I did it pretty well. I usually butcher it. So, I mean, I'm thinking I'm getting better as we go along here. And as the audience realizes, Jim, you've been on the podcast before. I think the last two times uh, Lynette uh, was with you and we were talking about spiritual, emotional intelligence. Um, however, today, and, you know, we talked about this a couple of times offline, I, I really wanted to dig into some of your past um, and audience I'm not going into his past to analyze him and to determine whether or not something happened in childhood and did you fall? Did you eat paint chips or something? I, I'm just curious yeah. about it, it's kind of your your in some ways it's kind of your metamorphosis because the Jim Vave that I've known, which has been about what six, seven years or so. Oh yeah, at least. At least, right? Um, but there was a different. Jim Vave in a world that you ran um, because you had multiple entrepreneur ventures and you were very successful at that. Um, but I wanted to use today as an opportunity to kind of understand about what that life was like and then maybe your journey to some of the things that you're doing today. So uh, with that, uh, Jim, I, the, the one venture that sort of has always been center of mind with me because when I first met you, um, I think you were coming toward the end of your time with Varmint Guard, uh, which, um, and if I can get this right, you're, you're going to be all over it because of your background. Uh, basically, it was extermination services or pest control. How, how does, is that, am I getting it close? Uh, it was that and uh, yeah. we did everything that had to do with things that could invade your home. Ah. So regardless of the animals, snakes, termites, pests, birds, you know, we did it all. Dude, did it all. Okay. And when did that organization, when did that come? When did you start that company? 1982. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. You weren't even born then, were you? Oh, I wish I could say that, (laughs) but I would be lying. Um, so, okay. Founded 1982. Um, did it, was it just you, uh, starting out or did you have other partners or how, how uh, was it? It's, it's a very complicated question. Um, 
as in any venture, I think that an entrepreneur starts, um, you go into it with a certain set of expectations mm -hmm. and those expectations are not always met. Meaning you might have some partners, right. business partners, mm -hmm. and they don't stay for one reason or another. Ah. So the people that I started with did not stay. Okay, got it. That makes total sense. And okay. as we went along down the path, we ended up with other business partners. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So you started off uh, working primarily just in, was it central Ohio? Was that kind of the... the... Oh, yeah, we started in central Ohio. Um, and we had this idea. Actually, Mike Moore, who was uh, my co-founder, mm -hmm. uh, had the idea. I did not. Okay. His, idea, his idea was called Varmint Guard, and we would go into people's homes. And this was before anybody else in the country was doing it. Okay. And from a commercial standpoint, take the animals out of the home yep. and release them out in the wild. Gotcha. Which I love animals. So for me, that was a really good thing to do. I didn't want to trap them and kill them. Right. And those kinds of things. So we started this and we talked to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources and they told us we were crazy. Uh, nobody had ever done that before. Mm -hmm. And we just did our usual sales job. And the gentleman uh, that was with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources at the time gave us a statewide license, which was unheard of, to drop wild animals. And we were only operating in Columbus. Little okay. did we know how important that statewide license was going to be down the road. Interesting. Wow. So that kind of helped the business, right? Because you you had the ability to, I mean, you were, quote, legal, right? And all of that good stuff. And they were allowing you to do this work. Um, how was, what kind of reception did you get from the marketplace? Well, that's interesting. It was wildly sort of successful. Without getting into a lot of the details, um, when the first year that we were in business, we started with uh, very undercapitalized. I'm going to say this very honestly. A lot of entrepreneurs are undercapitalized. Some of them have ways of getting money that I did not. Yeah. And we uh, started with $25 and 65 Chevy pickup truck from a dead stop. Oh, and wow. We went out and worked very hard mm -hmm. and put in, as all entrepreneurs know, very long days, seven days a week for two years. Mike and I didn't get paid for two years. We put all the money back into the business. And the first year in 1983, which was uh, our first partial year, we made $93,000. Wow. Now, in my head, that sounds really good because I'm taking dollars back to 1983, right? But the equivalent's 200 and something now. Okay. And we didn't have any capital. So all of that was made from scratch. Yeah, pure, pure start. The second year, we did 183000 And we just kept growing like that until I sold it. Okay. And uh, because obviously the our episode today is not to get into too much of the weeds of of varmint guard because I want to segue here in a minute to the the most curious part for me when we were talking. But you went from being in that central Ohio to how many 
you were in multiple states at the time that you sold the company, right? Yes. From a pest control standpoint, we had companies like Pepsi and Ikea and things like that. And we we did pest control in probably eight or nine states. And we did bird control in almost all the states. And we even went down to Puerto Rico to do some bird work. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. Some big, very big buildings. Wow. So obviously, Jim, uh, as the company grew, uh, it wasn't just you and partners. There were there were employees and lots, lots and lots of employees. Yeah. And uh, in your role um, as partner, um, and, and I remember you telling me some of those situations, like I think any business partners have, you know, the give and the take and all that good stuff. But overall, what how would you say, I mean, what was your motivations when this thing started rolling? What what was what was motivating you? What were some of the things that you kind of said, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do more because I want X, or or how did that play out for you? Well, so parts of these this story i'm going to be very embarrassed to talk about well and jim if you remember because we've been talking about this for a while i wanted to be very sensitive to you being willing to be embarrassed and to be vulnerable so thank you i mean we're talking about emotional intelligence and i think it's important to to be vulnerable in those ways i mean i'm not going to give gory details but I think overall, it's very important. Um, Let me also say very, very clearly that all of the business partners and all of the employees in one way or another helped the success of the company. Yeah, I believe that. We all had different functions and different things that we did for the company. Mine was to drive the company, and that's what I'm going to focus on with our conversation today. Yeah. I, when I started off, I wanted to be a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. I I just wanted to be able to have the luxury of not having to, to worry about that, about money. Mm-hmm. And um, I was relentless to the point of a dictator kind of behavior in pushing certain agendas. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll get to this other point down the road. One of the main things that I wanted to do, though, at the same time, so I had this war going on in my head or even in my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to help people out that were the least, the last, and the lost. Mm-hmm. So, we very early on started hiring people that other people did not find hireable. So we hired at times prostitutes and and heroin addicts and worked with them to get them clean. And we have a lot of success stories. Mm-hmm. We had I hired ex offenders, not not the kind that would be a problem for people, but the kind that were not given a chance. Right. We hired um, uh, people that didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. And we did that intentionally. Um, was it always 
Did it always work out the way it needed to? No. We hired people that had different orientations than us. And this is back in the 80s. Yeah, I was going to say that that very much on the uh, quote, I guess if I could say the vanguard, right? Yeah, and we hired vets. And we hired people that um, didn't talk like us and didn't expect them to do that. None of the people we hired did we expect them to act like us. So if I can kind of pause there for you, I'm curious, um, what was the motivation, the intentionality about that? Because that's that's very intentional, right? I mean, you don't just say, oh, look, we've got people here that don't look like us. Isn't that cool? I mean, you, where did that come from? Well, can I segue back to something? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Detroit, and we lived in a little Polish neighborhood. And I knew that my future was set with the Ford Motor Company. I was going to be working in the assembly line. I was going to have a track house. I was going to get married to a little Polish woman. And we were going to have a kids and a dog and a cat and drink Stroh's beer and watch hockey. All right. On yeah. Saturday afternoon. Okay. <laughs> and then have cookouts at other times. Well, my parents in 1961 went down to Cobo Hall, which was downtown. Right. And they watched this guy. They were two rows back. And they watched this guy to start it off by saying, I have a dream. Uh, wow. Yes. And that guy changed my life along with everybody else's. And the fact that my parents decided in almost two months to just move to the inner city of Detroit. Wow. So I am not like Eminem, who's a poser, who lived up on Eight Mile Road. My parents actually literally did move us to the inner city of Detroit. And I was one of the few white people that lived in the area. Yeah. And um, this was during the racial 60s. Yep. And there was marches and protests and, and all kinds of things. And I lived through what it meant to see that that strife, that 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 growth that people were looking for, the the recognition that hey, I'm human kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I I it was embedded in me. Okay. Yeah. I to me that that explains a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I was I was involved in protest marches and the hippie movement and all of that stuff. And it, it was very important. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. Thank you for that, because that does give some context to the intentionality of those decisions you made at Varmint Garden hiring. And um, so let me let you pick back up. So what were some of the motivations um, going on? Well, I mean, here's the problem. I wasn't a sole owner. Mm hmm. And in the way we structured our ownership is we all had the same amount. Uh, and I was the guy that founded it. Yeah. And we all structured it. All of us had the same amount of, of ownership. And we all got paid exactly the same amount of money, the owners. Mm -hmm. We never fought about money ever. Not once in the 30 plus years that we were all together. Everybody was taken care of. 
equally or not, depending on what happened. Right. What I didn't say and how I was talking about it is think about having other owners and they have a right to have a voice. Yeah. That didn't think like I did. They didn't grow up in the racial 60s in Detroit. Very few people did. Or in in Selma, Alabama, or somewhere else like that. Mm -hmm. And they had different opinions about the way business should be run. They wanted to run business like a business. I did not. Wow. Even back then. How did, how did you handle that um, sort of the difference in view? Well, <laughs> this is where I'm embarrassed to talk about that. Uh, and I, I am embarrassed. And I'm also sad. Um, for those out in the audience that know what the Enneagram is, I am um, an eight on the Enneagram and an eight on the Enneagram is a challenger and um, one that expresses anger outwardly. And I am a pure eight when it comes to being uh, a challenger. And there was nothing that would stand in my way ever about anything. And yes, I know that business is supposed to be business. Right. I know that we're trying to treat people with respect, especially in today's world. And what I did then would not fly in the today's world. Because I just forced it by sure force of will to go in the direction I wanted it to. You know, I just have images in my head of very um, volatile meetings and interactions and things like that. Um, well, that would that would be an understatement. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we had we had good things that happened. You know, we celebrated when successes came in. Um, we didn't have those you know, awesome profit years where we would have a 15% profit and everybody got a huge dividend and everybody else got paid this, this, and this. It was, you know, there was times where we didn't make a profit because of my initiatives. Mm. And I I actually hurt all of my partners. So that... That's a point where I, I remember um, a conversation with you, and and this really struck me. Um, you had mentioned that there um, that when the company sold, you ultimately it was as if they vanished. You you just didn't talk to them again, all of that kind of thing. And and you didn't say it to me in a way like, "Wow, they were so pissed at me." They said they never wanted to talk to me. Thing, but I think. And Jim, this was just my impression. Um, I think it for it, it appeared to me like it was your stating that because of the 
all the volatility over the years that it was sort of like there really, I mean, there really wasn't anything there to hold on to and to keep going in a relationship was, am I close or I could be wrong, but that was what I. Oh, I think, I think you said it very well. Yeah. Because I think I'm pretty good at what I do nowadays <laughs> um, from being a, a spiritual director and a, and a coach. And I, I've helped some people out that I have as clients in, in some of the ways, but I didn't know then what I know now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I hurt those people. Yeah. In some ways I created PTSD. And I, and I, you know, as an example, our entomologist was a PhD and he was very gentle. He walked gently through the world. Mm-hmm. And he really didn't want to be in business, but he was a partner. And his name was Jerry. And by the way, Jerry, I'm sorry if you should happen to hear this. But I tried to put a round pig in a square hole. And I actually did get the round peg in a square hole. Going back to that force of will. He did it. He did what he needed to. Mm -hmm. Got to a point where he was just done. Yeah. At the end, when it was time for us and we were older and things were changing, he just wanted out. So he did some things that I just... We're not fair to him mm-hmm. to get out, just to be done. Be done. Wow. Um, so as you as you obviously uh, have had the opportunity, uh, because you've been somewhat removed from that experience uh, from your sale of the company, um, that's been some years now, right? Yeah, so about, I don't know, five. Okay. Okay. And... When you look back, um, obviously, you're not the same guy. Um, and I, I've always marvel- marveled from somewhat afar, even though I know our relationship is uh, intimate and in, in that I know a lot and I see a lot and I interact a lot. But there is a part of me that I've I've kind of taken a step back and I'm going, I'm watching Jim and this transformation because the things that you've mentioned about how you treated people at Varmigard, um, that's not the gym I know, right? And and I get it. And for our audience, we probably all could say, but yeah, if you would have known me back X number of years, you would say, wow, you're not the same person. I understand that because I, I know my corporate life, um, there was a different mindset, right? Um, so Jim, um, was there a catalyst point where you said, it's time to change or did you do it in a sort of a, a sort of a process meaning I'm gradually 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 okay so it's a good question I think that the best way to say it is that I was working mostly externally. And mm-hmm. I, I wasn't working internally. So my daughter was born, my last daughter was born when I was 30. 
and I had what Christians might call a conversion experience. Mm -hmm. And I started devouring um, literature. And, and at the same time, I was going to uh, retreats and centering prayer stuff. And I searched out gurus and priests and you know, speakers like Deepak Chopra and, you know, Matthew Fox, I went and met with them and, you know, had the money I could do that. Yeah. But, um, and I started trying to figure out why I was angry. Mm. You know, why, you did I, why did I treat people like crap? Right. So would you say that it's centered, you had kind of uh, narrowed it down to Anger is a source of what ails you? Well, anger is basically telling you that something's blocked. Mm. And I didn't know what was blocked. Yeah. And it was fueling me. And I was using varmint guard as, a, as an excuse to... to put into effect, if you will, my way of, of interacting with the world. And we had hundreds of employees going through the company and working for the company and, you know, on and on and on. And most of them thought I was crazy because, uh, you know, I started doing personality assessments years and years ago before people even knew what they were. Mm -hmm. and, uh, got certified in disc and Myers-Briggs and, you know, all kinds of instruments. And everybody's going, wow, you're really different. And they have no idea how different I was because I had two different parts of my personality fighting with each other. Right. Right. Yeah. All the time. I was not integrated. That's a key one, and and I and I certainly want you to store that in your recesses because I want to come back to that that idea of integrated. Um, so I'm curious, how did your partners view some of these things, these these micro changes, and maybe to a certain degree, major changes? Did they roll their eyes, like, or did they? I don't think. I don't think after I ended up damaging them. Mm hmm one way or the other. I don't know that they really cared about me to the point where my changes would have affected them for the better. Yeah. Did that and bother I, you? And I, and I did it to myself, by the way. Right. Did that bother you, though? Yes. Yeah. Because I be, I became more and more isolated. I guess when I when I say it that way or, or ask it, uh, I think about someone who like realizes, wow, I'm I'm, I'm going to live differently. I'm I'm, I'm going to treat people differently. We we do sometimes have this expectation that the world is going to applaud us and tap us on the back and say, or you know, how wonderful. We're so glad we've waited so long. But sometimes people just like you said, it's kind of they, they don't really care. They just they've oh, already they don't, they don't they didn't really care, but see, they also needed who I was. Oh, you mean the the version? The version in here's what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. 2008, uh, most of us know the housing bubble bubble burst. Yep. 
And we had a whole bunch of residential customers, a whole bunch of commercial customers. And in three months, we lost 70% of our commercial customers, I mean, uh, residential customers. Yeah. That was a lot of money. Yeah. Every month that wasn't coming in. And the the phone was not ringing like it had been ringing, obviously, because everybody was freaking out. Yeah. Well, that's when my kind of personality steps in and does a good job. Right, because you're the you're the challenger, the driver, gonna get it done. Don't I'm not nothing's gonna stop me. Yes. And what ended up happening was I stood in front of all the employees. I took responsibility, did not put it on the other partners. And I said, we're going to keep everybody employed. But you're not going to have any benefits. But you will get your pay. Hmm. And when this crisis is over, we'll go back to, to where we were, or maybe even better. And, the, and I looked at the owners and I said, we're not going to get paid at all. So we didn't get paid for a couple of years. Wow. And I had to work with the banks almost every week. Because, you know, <laughs> banks are, we had a huge line of credit. And Eric, being your past corporate life, you know, in the banking world, when they put you in workout, it's not, it's not a fun experience. It's not like going to gym for a a, a, a trek on the treadmill. <laughs> no, they, they do work out because they don't know that you're going to be able to pay back the money. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, they wanted to know what our plan was every week. Wow. And we did that for a few years. We got out of it. Our yeah. business regained it what it had lost. The employees got... Um, their benefits back and we got started getting paid, but it took a toll on me. Yeah. So um, just to, and I, I know I kind of led us off on a little different track there, but you know, you mentioned about this anger thing and what was, and the idea of uh, anger is typically communicating that there's something blocking you. What did you come to, to determine was blocking you? Um. So going back to Detroit, mm -hmm. I was one of the first people in the country that was diagnosed with dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And I had ADHD. So together. Yeah. And people didn't know what that was. Some people thought I was mentally deficient. Yep. Literally. Mm -hmm. And some people didn't know what to do with me. Some people thought I was weird. I am weird, but they thought I was weirder than I actually am. And they didn't treat me well because of that. And I was discounted. I was not looked at as a human being for a lot of my life. And when people devalued me, I was enraged. And so when I was devalued, because 
people thought I couldn't do the job, which I could, by the way. Right. Um, I was enraged. Wow. And so what was blocking me was having a, a normal life. Was having a life that uh, I was valued for contributing. Wow, that's uh, that's powerful. So, um, when you discovered that, um, realizing that with your personality and all the neural pathways that were built up until that time, um, what did you do next? Well, you know, you're, it's not as easy as snapping your fingers. I'm glad to hear you say that because you're right. <laughs> if uh, I were, right? Yeah. And, and, and I went to, I went to get spiritual direction training. I went through spiritual formation training. I became a lay leader in the West Ohio Conference of the Methodist Church, lay leader of several churches. You know, because I always said, I can do that. And I would and I would go in there and I would I would climb to the top of the ladder. And for me, what I was looking for was acceptance. I was looking for, you know, good job, Jim. Yeah. And when I got up to the top of the ladder in these organizations, and I won't name the organizations, um, and I was in multinational organizations at the top of the ladder. It was leaning up against nothing. Isn't that a, I mean, that's such a blend, Jim, of the profound and the futile, right? I mean, it. I mean, I think about in my own life, uh, just as an example to, uh, you know, I spent so much time trying to outrun my dad. And to try to like, I'm going to achieve and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to prove to him and I'm going to, and I, and I remember in the moment when I thought that I had finally done it, I was a, totally alone. There was no, you did it, Eric. Awesome. You, you, you outran him. You, you, you showed him. I was just, I was utterly alone. And it was, it was kind of like, okay, where's Where's all the value that I thought would be in me getting here, you know? Um, and I'm I, truly, I'm not saying that I expect that that was what you felt, but it just, when you told me about <clears throat> the pursuit of what you were talking about, it, it just reminds us of how easy it is for us to take events and situations and relationships and they fuel us to things, you know? Um, I don't most, know if that makes sense. most people find out. And believe me, I know this because I'm coaching a lot of people, mm -hmm. different kinds of people, different parts of the world. Most people find out that the ladder they're climbing, when they get to the top of it, they sacrifice far more than they thought they were going to. Yeah. I and, would agree. and it's not leaning against anything. It's just waving up in the air up there. And they don't get the recognition that they expect unless they steal it or take it. And even if they do get a recognition, it lasts for a day. And then, and then, what what was it that we were again? What we were trying to do, you know, proving to all these people. Um, nah, 
it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. Let me let me go back to my father. Yeah. Uh, my father was a guy that was an intellectual and um, an artist. And because I had dyslexia, I couldn't read real well. Right. Because I transposed numbers. I mean, words and numbers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I did not learn the way that they teach you in school to read. Mm-hmm. Dyslexia in school did not mix. Right. So my father would sit me down in his studio at night on a little gray stool that was about this tall. And he'd ask me to read to him out of a Doc Savage book, a Hardy Boys book, a Nancy Drew book, and read for two to three hours a night. And I read through the whole series of Doc Savage and the Hardy Boys, and there was a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah. And then I started reading fantasy and science fiction. I started reading Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein and, you know, Vonnegut and all those people. And my father did the best he could for me. And what he did for me was to give me a gift because I can read anything now. Wow. So he was open to that you were going to have to learn in a different way. He saw that. Well, he was doing everything he could to figure out what to do. Oh, okay. And then, you know, and then in addition to that, he kept, he focused me on doing different kinds of things, you know, to keep me busy, to keep my head engaged. Mm -hmm. Because the way my brain thought, he would ask me a question And I would, by the time I got around to answering it, I was 15 thoughts down the road. And so he thought I was lying because the answer I gave was to the 15 thought down the road. Yeah. And and nobody really understood how my brain was wired, including me. Yeah. But he did me a favor. Although it was brutal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I could, I can understand that from afar. Um, so, you know, we talk about the pursuits and the, 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 the ladders sort of leaning up to nothing. It's just kind of wavering in the wind, if you will. Um, so, how did you, um, did you have, I'm thinking about the idea about moving forward and moving backward. Um, you're, you're on the verge of leaving or, or selling Varmint Guard and that kind of thing. What were you, what was moving you forward from there? What were some of the things you were thinking about doing next? That- well, so, so let me backtrack. Yeah. One of the things that was the impetus for me was in one year, I lost my health because I had a major heart attack. Okay. I was getting divorced. I was going to lose my house that I was in. And, you know, a bunch of other things all in one year. That's a lot. Yes. And... 
I, you know, nobody is without blame when it comes to getting a divorce. Everybody, yeah. everybody in the relationship contributes to that one way or another. Yes. Yeah. I'm not blaming it all on my ex-wife or anything else. And my one of my partners who was more business minded than the other ones mm-hmm. did not like working with me did not want to work with me did not like my style of management was not strong enough to fight against me but was working very hard to get me out of there wow so he knew a lot of people in the industry because his, he was a legacy uh child and um, he he kept bringing people to us that would buy our business, you know. And some of these were some big people. I mean, really, the smaller people could not have bought us. We were too big. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he'd bring work and nah, didn't like who they were, didn't know how they were going to treat people. Brought Terminex, nah, didn't like them, didn't like how they were going to treat people. Brought the largest company in the world. You know, rent a kill, and they definitely weren't going to treat us the way we wanted to be treated. And then he brought a woman from from Minnesota whose name is Stacy, and she runs a company called Plunkets, who is just a really delightful woman. Mm-hmm. She has a mindset for taking care of people. And I thought, you know, that makes lots of sense to me because I was tired. I was tired of being who i was i was not happy with myself i was having a crisis of meaning yeah and i needed to make sure that the people that i started with were taken care of so i could not feel bad about doing what i was doing which was leaving Mm. and you know eric after i sold it i haven't been back was that a clean break idea? Yeah. I mean, you know, it wasn't like they didn't invite me back. I, I went back once for a retirement for somebody. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I have not been back and I don't need to go back. Yeah. And I think that's a healthy way of sort of leaving something behind, right? Yeah. And and I wanted to do, I wanted to do coaching full time and you know, Lynette and I uh, took a job with an international nonprofit that does emotional intelligence training. So we train people all over the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, we were we rolled right up to the CEO of the company out in California, and we were responsible for all of North America, and, and that was a good gig. It it taught me a lot. I get a sense too, Jim, that learning for you is a uh, very powerful motivator. Um, well, I haven't stopped. I'm enrolled in classes that are going to take me through the next four years. And I'm 71 and I'll be 75 when I finish those. And I got some ideas for after that. And that doesn't surprise me, knowing you. Um, I, I got to ask, um, you know, when you think about the changes that you made, um, you know, I, and I've said this to you before, you know, just in, in private that, um, 
you know, some people, when they get to a certain place in life, um, making significant changes becomes really, really difficult. And and I and I don't want to say this to say that wow, Jim, you are the unicorn and and you're one out of fifty million or whatever. But um, when you recognize some of these things, for example, anger, what was blocking you? What was the root of that? Did you have any times where you thought, I don't know if I need to do, maybe I won't, maybe I'll just, uh, you compromised. Did that ever cross your mind of maybe not going all the way in? <laughs> no. I, I was going to say, as I asked that question, I'm going, I got to remember you're an all in kind of guy. So, well, it's like, you know, you know, beef tongue sandwich. I've never eaten it before. I'll take two. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I, I don't mean that to say, well, I'm special because frankly, I don't know that it is special. Frankly, I think it, it created lots of stress for me. Yeah. I mean, so, I just, I was, I don't have a problem changing. It doesn't mean that I don't feel sadness or grief or, you know, other things, but it doesn't stop me from moving forward. Yeah. And, and to that idea of, of, of moving forward, um, some of our audience might be, you know, much, much younger than you and I, who are of the mind that, uh, wow, you're kind of describing how I approach things or you're describing kind of what I'm pursuing or maybe even I'm on that ladder and I feel it's just kind of waving. I thought it was against something that I wanted. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about what you've learned as it relates to maybe helping others who may be walking in the same on the same street that you did as it relates to this business, you know, the business pursuits, what advice would you give? What are some things that you had? I actually, actually, I can say it fairly quickly. Take your time. Um, I've read hundreds of books, mm -hmm. maybe even thousands. I won't go that far, but I had a whole bunch in my house when I sold them. Um, I've read them. I've written papers on them. I'm doing spiritual direction with the Hayden Institute right now because I'm refreshing myself on what I might have forgotten. Mm -hmm. Doing Jungian psychology. And um, writing spiritual papers and psychology papers and everything else. I've sat at the feet of masters across the world taking classes from them, taking training from them, gone to them, spent time with them, spent time in a monastery for three months, you know, on and 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 on. And I don't say that because I'm special. I say that because I was driven to find out why. Mm -hmm. And after all of that, Eric, I came back to some very simple thoughts. 
and I believe it with all of my heart. Everybody, everybody is doing the best they can with what they know. And it's our job to be kind. And love holds all of that together. And that's the very simple truth of it from all of that study. Wow. That's powerful. And the other truth is nobody knows what the best they can is for somebody else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, boy. That's a big one. Well, my best, my best that I can is not your best that you can. Yeah. And we just think that, you know, we should impose our best that we can. And everybody should live up to that level of understanding. Because if I believe it, why don't you believe it? Mm -hmm. Does that go the same? If I know it, then you should know it too, right? Correct. You 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 mentioned that part about the about the knowing. Um, you know, I sometimes think we have this. It's almost sometimes, and it's masked with all of the wonderful you know, flowery statements, you know, our desire to see people grow, our desire to people to come to a greater understanding of X, Y, and Z. And the reality is um, those aren't things that you can just flip a switch with, right? Um, you have to want to make a transition in your, in your own journey. Yeah. You have to, and and I had the benefit of doing intense work for many, many, many years. I I am the product of a lot of training, mm -hmm. and looking at myself fearlessly, right? And it wasn't easy. Most, so what, people, most people give up. Yeah, because that, that takes me to, to a point. And, and I don't want to, for our audience, I don't want to minimize what you said, uh, you know, as it relates to it's hard work. It's tough. There's no getting around that. Um, if somebody, and maybe it's somebody that you're coaching or, or have coached, Jim, that, you know, has said, I don't know if I can commit to what you did. But I want to change. I want. I want to. I want to. I want to make a transition. Um, how, how do you, in light of those truths that you mentioned, how, how do you approach them and from that perspective? And again, remembering they well, have hired you to coach them. You you are somebody they're looking to for help. I think that I think Eric, it's immoral of us to have any expectations that people are going to behave like we want them to. Yeah, I mean right. it's. It's immoral. Yeah. And I think that when, when somebody hires you to coach them or to do spiritual direction or to do whatever, mm -hmm. it's your job to listen and ask questions and let them find 
the wisdom that is inside of them already. Yeah. We don't we don't have a right to make people act like us. Yeah. And that's really kind of foolish in many ways, isn't it? Because uh, I'm not you. I'm not I don't I'm not uh, you know, our DNA is different. I mean, all these different things that make me unique to you and to every other human being on the planet. Um, we, went out, we went out to eat recently. You and I. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And did we order the same thing? <laughs> no. And why do you think that is? Because you had a specific thing in your head of what you wanted, whether that was from a taste perspective, a, a size of a portion, um, what you had already eaten that day. Um, and this just makes me think, Jim, as you asked that question, and I, I want you to answer, but I, 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 it just it's dawning on me. I'm going, what if I was expecting you to order what I order, not knowing what your experience was earlier in the day? I mean, the 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 size of the portion you want. It, it's it's insanity to to do that to another human being, right? And yet. Right. And yet happens all the time. Think what would happen if we would stop rushing by people, which, by the way, a lot of us do. Right. And be kind and notice that somebody else has got something going on that they just need maybe to somebody to stop and say a kind word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I didn't do that. I was I was ruthless, and I don't pre, I don't say that as a badge of honor. I ended up along with the other people that put the time in, so it wasn't just me. Yeah, but I ended up with a very large company. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah um it's so fascinating to me um and because i'm thinking back to a conversation i had with a gentleman who was a um he was an auditor an internal auditor at the bank that i worked for and um we kind of became quasi friends and when I left, he was someone that I, I didn't talk to him regularly, but uh, I would we would exchange emails and sometimes we'd get coffee. And I remember one coffee and this was probably I'd been gone for a couple of years. And I remember sitting there with him saying, you know, I, I feel so much freer now because I feel like I can be me. And he, he gives me this look, Jim, kind of like cocks his head a bit. And I go, well, I mean. I gave some Oscar worthy performances in that world, you know, but it wasn't me. And it was as if he had heard me say that Elvis was walking through the door. And he said, that's really strange because I really thought you meant all of that. I thought that was really like you were that driven. You were that focused. And it wasn't that he was saying it to say, oh, you're a fake. It was just his perception was kind of rooted in this 
person that I really want, I didn't want to be. I portrayed him, you know, but it wasn't who I wanted to be. So maybe I can sum it up like this for us. Mm -hmm. and, and then we can put our conversation to bed. <laughs> I sense a I sense a poetic stroke here. Go ahead. Well, think about it from a car perspective. Mm -hmm. And think about who's in the driver's seat. So imagine that your ego is in the driver's seat and the part of your ego that's driving is the shadow. And the spirit, your essence, what makes you you, is over in the passenger seat going, hey, Eric, I know how to get to where we're going. Let me drive. And the ego's shadow says, nope, I got it. I'm going to be able to do this. You just sit there and be quiet. And that's what was going on with me in Barmigard. The ego's shadow was driving and the spirit didn't have a voice. And I was driven. And what's happened to me now is the spirit is in the driver's seat. And the ego's in the passenger seat because we need our ego. Yeah. And the shadow's in the back seat trying to do backseat driving. And we keep saying, shut up. And you know, Jim, and just for my own personal, as I look back a bit and kind of put together what we've talked about today, I'm going, as it should be, as it should be. So, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. I call this a very special episode because I know I, we've been talking about it and I said, you know, it'd be a great idea. And then we talked some more and your willingness to come on, your willingness to come on and be vulnerable like this with your with your past is is um, it's an honor. So thank you so much. And thank you for letting me share that. And if anybody in, in your audience or in our audience, I should say, um, wants to talk about this and you know i'm not even talking about making money off of you i'm talking about if you want to talk i'm open to that well we'll make sure to have your contact information in the show notes along with uh other details but um we appreciate it jim for our audience thank you so much again for tuning in and we look forward to the next time we're together take care Hi, everyone. This is Eric again. A couple of things as we've ended the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully, you're tuning in on a regular basis. We'd love it if you would give us a great review on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast. It's so appreciative and helps us as we try to get more exposure for the work we do and the episodes that we publish. And we're grateful to you as a listener. The second thing is just remember, our content is for educational purposes only. It's not intended by any stretch to diagnose or to treat anything that may be occurring in your life or anyone else's life that you may be connected to through the podcast. But once again, we appreciate you tuning in to the shows. And as always, we look forward to the next time that we're together. Take care.